it's always soccer in Philadelphia on a Tuesday night, even when tornado warnings are rolling through the Delaware Valley. Not even a tornado warning could keep us from talking about your team, your town, your Philadelphia Union, who are technically now in second place in the Eastern Conference. However, they have the best PPG among teams in the Eastern Conference. We're going to talk about that. Kevin Kincaid joining you. Baxter is downstairs cowering in fear of the rain. Uh, My daughter is probably doing something, cooing downstairs as my wife takes care of her. And joining the program, making his fourth or fifth appearance, I'm not really sure, uh, is a man who the last time he was on the program, we had a record number of downloads. It's Rush Joy from Crossing Broad. Russ, how does that make you feel? Well, it's not surprising, Kevin. Everybody knows that the ratings when I'm on are big. They're fantastic. They're better than anyone else. You know, measly Matt George can't handle it. Tiny Tannewald can't handle it. Zeitgeisty Zeitlin. See you later. Smell you later. The joy on broad. The effect. It is real. It is big. I'm so happy to be back. Thank you. Well, that's one of the reasons I like having you on the program because you help the ratings, but also because you're so humble uh, and you always, you know, deflect. You you never try to heap too much praise on yourself. You couldn't, know, I you could not do myself justice. Yeah. Couldn't do it justice. Now, do we think that the ratings are increased because you are co-hosting that particular episode, or was it because uh, it was a very positive episode? We said something nice about every player. Um, the union were in first place. They just ripped off a bunch of wins. Do you think it's the Russ Joy effect, or do you think it's the union are finally good effect? Well, you know you know what, Kevin? I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, I look back at the ratings, and the ratings are big. And uh, the last time that I was on prior to that, it's the second biggest uh, episode, I think, that had been done in a calendar year. <laughs> That's very and, true. It and is that true. one, that one wasn't about being positive. That one was called Your Life is Over. I know. So either we have people who are on one side of the spectrum that want all positivity or the other ones who are just uh, parents who are just kind of enjoying the schadenfreude as they uh, listen to you delve further into parenthood. Or it could I, be because that's the podcast where you talked shit about the sons of Ben and maybe they circulated that podcast and they said, listen to this guy. I want to correct that. I spoke truth about the sons of Ben That's and true. I'm still hoping that they address some of the concerns. Yeah. I just spoke on behalf of a, you know, a large contingent of the fan base that would like some new chants, some new cheers and a, uh, a more inclusive environment for, uh, for all fans in the I river think, end. Yeah. I think what we have to do is we have to take some of the ratings from the rush joy appearances on the always soccer in Philadelphia program. And we have to take them from the 1% and give them to the 99%. Share the ratings from the 1% of Americans to the 99%. Mm. I agree. But listen, I have a big announcement to make, which really is not much of an announcement because it's already been announced on Twitter, uh, but I'm very happy to talk about it on here. The very first It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia Live podcast is booked for July 20th at the Larimer Beer Company in Chester, Pennsylvania. Yay! Well I didn't done. have a sound drop ready there. I have the soundboard. I'm not even using it. Uh, we got mixed reviews on the soundboard, by the way. I think one person told us they liked it, and one person said it sucked. So we had two Very people, two people um, uh, share feedback on that. But yes, so people, people didn't uh, approve resolution 3276B at the uh, primary? Uh, yeah, I guess not. So we'll just, I assume that people are okay with it. So we won't overdo it. 
Um, but we'll, we'll drop some some sound drops in there every so often. But yeah, some obviously very happy. This is something that we had talked about. We'd wanted to do. Um, so yeah, Matt from the Larimer was like, yeah, let's do it. Seven twenty. Uh, I believe what's happened is they're going to open on seven six. I believe they're going to. I think that's when their target date is for opening. So um, really, we don't have a ton of details down. We got a date, and uh, f- I think what we we're going to do is the Union Play Chicago at seven thirty that day. Um, I have an event that goes from twelve to three. So I, I kind of wanted to crowd source people if you want to um message me on twitter or whatever and just say what you think a good time is i was thinking maybe five to six 4 30 to 5 30 seems a little early i'm not sure what time people get down there i'm not sure what time y'all go into the game um so if you think five to six is like we'll do it for an hour and then the game's at 7 30 or we can do it 5 30 to 6 30 but if that's too uh that's too late uh let, let me know we're gonna try to do it for an hour before um you know before the game so wh- whatever window you think makes the most sense um you know, it's not going to be anything fancy. I mean, we're not going to like blow it out with all these like crazy, like super secret things or whatever. We just wanted to take the podcast on the road, do it in a live setting. Um, just have some good solid talk, get the crowd involved and, uh, you know, meet a lot of people that we we haven't been able to meet yet. Um, raise some banners, let people take pictures with Baxter. Gotcha. (laughs) We're I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say anything to that. Um, no, but we're really looking forward to doing it. Obviously, it makes a ton of sense. We talk about beer on this podcast all the time. There's one. There's a brewery now that's within walking distance of the stadium. It just made too much sense. So they're gonna set us up in the tap room. I'm gonna go down there and talk to Matt. We're gonna check the place out. We're gonna see what the setup looks like. And we're gonna go from there. But yeah, it should be really simple. It should be a lot of fun. July 20th uh, before the Chicago game. Any feedback? Any ideas? Just uh, holler at me, and we'll do it. How does that sound, Russ? I think it sounds great. You're a man of the people. I try to be. It's important. Um, to be a man of the 99% as I try to get this piece of spinach out from under my teeth here. Um, so listen, that's coming up uh, about two months' time. But in the meantime, we're talking about the Philadelphia Union who uh, had a nil-nil draw with Seattle after putting 20 shots up. They lost 3-1 to one to Portland uh, after putting 18 shots up. The only goal that they scored in the last two weeks was Casper uh, Shabilko uh, hitting it off his shin off of the post and a dribbler that went uh, over the line. So I guess my question to you, Russ, would be are you, uh, are you concerned or do you feel okay about the team despite the little hiccup here? The last time I was on, we said that if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. So I'm going to... Uh concede my time and I'm going to allow for a two-minute moment of silence thank you um concerned wouldn't be the the best way to put it yeah. <laughs> um I, you know I would say the Seattle game was uh was a bit up and down I on on one hand you could kind of point to the fact that Seattle was missing some players um and they were doing the cross-country trip and that's always going to be rough um, and, and you should do better at home. You should get those points at home, pick up your three, and, and, and move on. So I thought it was a, a disappointing result, although I thought there were a couple things that, that might have been worth, um, you know, building on. I think, you know, having Andre Blake back is a big deal for this team. I think Carnell's played played well. I think Freeze, when he's had to come in and, and pinch, uh, pinch goaltending uh, duty, has been okay. Um but I think it was a disappointing result overall. You know, I think when people kind of the casual fan take a look and they see Seattle, they know that Seattle's a good team historically, and and you might think they're getting a point at home. I mean, it's better to get a point than to to drop all points mm-hmm. and take a loss um, on a cross country trek like that. I think the Portland game was a little bit more upsetting. Um, you know, sure they they went they put up eighteen shots, they doubled Portland in shots following the twenty shot performance the game before. It just 
I, I don't know, man. Like, you fall behind early. You manage to get Shabilko. He gets you started, you know, right after half, which is good. I mean, you always worry about how your team's going to react at halftime. And to see them come out and get a goal early kind of felt like, all right, you know what? They're not going to let this get to them. They're going to, you know, they're going to they're gonna pull another one out. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. In that second half, it just kind of felt like, you know, I, I thought so much of, of the positivity that you saw late in or the early in that half just kind of felt like at some point, you know, something's got to break. It never did. And, and Valeri just kind of capping it off just kind of felt like a, you know, a typical game against Portland, right? Like Valeri's just so good. I got up off the couch kind of, and I like squealed at that goal. And my and wife looked at me like I was crazy. Uh, it was just, it's just, it's what he does. The one time low curler to the far part. Yeah. I mean, I just, it was gorgeous. It yeah. was, a, it was a, an absolutely gorgeous play, gorgeous yeah. shot. And, you know, I, I guess on one hand, it's nice to know that, you know, he just put the dagger in, right? And, and you can kind of move on, maybe not watch the last couple minutes mm. versus kind of letting it, you know, linger out there for another six minutes or whatever until suffered, stoppage. Or suffered whatever. A, like a 2 1 loss, and then you're thinking about hitting, hitting the post. Yep. twice you know and you're playing the what if game yeah dude i i kind of agree with you i i felt like they dropped points both times um you know the first one the seattle game it was like well you know what seattle's coming across they coming across the country they don't have all their starters they're they're they did some squad rotation and they kind of just sat in and bunkered in and like you know a little bit of the narrative from that game was wow look at look at how far the union have, <laughs> have come a team like seattle is parking the bus against the union and just trying not to just trying to prevent anything from coming through and so you're a little flattered you know it's like wow look at look really is is this the philadelphia union now they're getting respect from seattle um so whatever like you're willing to say it's a blip and it it happens you know jeff was down there (laughs) jeff wool and like he got the only like nil nil of this of this season which of course was ironic you know but uh, it's always best when the uh when the soccer haters go out and they (laughs) do their first the, like their and then, first like, game of the season. And every once in a while, it'd be like Anthony sometimes oh, will go down and, and see a game and be like, oh, yeah, really exciting 1 1 draw. That was great. I'm like, dude, we, we cover hockey. Like, let's not act like hockey is this barn yeah. burner of a, you know, oh, the Flyers, they put up nine goals on the Rangers. Like, that doesn't happen, <laughs> right? Um, but yeah, like, nil nil sucks. Um, yeah. It, well, and you know, the other thing was, too, I was like looking, I was watching the crowd on TV. I'm like, man, what a great crowd. Yep, and uh, the the river end looked great. Y'all looked great in the river end. Um, really, the place was rocking on TV, and I'm like, "Fuck, this is so fucking you know typical of of they would like That's play so well, union. get up to first place, and then have a great crowd on a great weather night." Um, who knew that the only the issue was the weather, and not really anything else. Although maybe yep. maybe maybe people just weren't convinced yet. Maybe now that they had won a bunch of games in a row, people finally had, you know come out from wherever they were hiding. But yeah, I just sat there thinking it reminded me of the podcast that Dave and I did or, or kind of like last year, how I wrote a couple stories for crossing broad, uh, you know, when they were ripping off wins and they got back to the U S open cup final. And I was like, Oh, I, I hate to tell you, but the union are pretty good. And then they went out and shut the bed again. You know, I didn't write anything about them on the site for like another five months after it, you know, that was my fear when we did the uh, positivity pod, I was like, the wheels have to fall off. <laughs> And you know what? You know what I think is actually a little bit more upsetting is when you look at it. It's not necessarily that they had what what I would consider um, a, a meddling kind of result against Seattle and a disappointing result against Portland. It's it's what you followed, right? Like mm-hmm. you went on the road to Toronto, and that was a game I think you and I had previewed that we had talked yeah. about. And it was like, yeah. are they going to be able to kind of exercise the demons of the open the home opener? Are you going to be able to go up? and steal points on the road 
and really put your mark on this Eastern Conference. And it felt like coming out of that game, they had done that. Yes, it was and, like a narrative defeating win, you know, where they yep. could, where people could no longer say, "Well, they they haven't they haven't beaten anybody," you know, they don't have a quality win. Like they they answered those questions. Because remember, like they they had come off of a two 0 win over Cincinnati. And people were just kind of touting it as like, well, Cincinnati, Cincinnati. Yeah. And then they drubbed, sucks. Yeah. they drubbed the Revs six yeah. one, and you were like, okay, you know, it's great you can put up goals on this like minor league team. Both but of like those at some coaches, point, and both know, of those coaches got fired. Yep. Like a week after they lost to the Union. Yep. <laughs> Which is uh, another bizarre, bizarre world thing. If you had told people before the season that the Union are going to get somebody fired like a couple months into the season, we would have thought it would have been Jim Curtin, but no, it was yeah. two other managers. They got so like, Brad Friedel and uh, Alan Koch fired, you know? Brad so. Friedel has such a weird accent. It is such a, like, it's almost an amalgamation of a yeah. of an accent like Brett Brown has, you know? Uh, it's not yeah, the same, Bost- but it's just kind of like... Australian. Australian. Yeah, yeah. You know, Kevin, Kevin, I uh, I couldn't help but point out the fact that you're very, you're very well-versed, you're well researched. That was cool. Yeah, that was a cool moment. You know me. the answer, but but that's okay. That's okay. Well, I didn't know if Brett was saying honestly. I didn't know if he was like annoyed with me at first for asking that. Like if he was saying like, "Why are you asking a question to which you already know the answer?" But I it, I circled back and I was like, "Oh, it was a compliment." So for all uh, the people who cool. like for I think there's a lot of crossover between Sixers fans and Union fans. For those who who don't follow the Sixers or didn't watch any of the uh, the the after season wrap up nonsense. Uh, Good old Kevin over here, the man on the Union beat for all those years, giving you the best coverage, has made that move over to the Union or to the Sixers beat, and is arguably the best guy on the beat, and got got one heck of a shout out by the head coach, and that was pretty cool. It was a, it was a nice moment. It was cool. Yeah, because that's um that's this is is this the blow sunshine up my ass part of the podcast? no. This is this is the it, like you have to respect like when when a good thing happens like somebody's got to give you a shout. Look, I'm the I'm the hype that. guy. Yeah, appreciate. I'm the it. hype guy at Crossing Broad, right? Like we had it first. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's so critical that you know that we we point out when good things happen, and you're doing really great work over on the Sixers side. So that was yeah. a neat moment. Versus there was somebody else. Um, I, I'm not going to say what site they, they work for. Are you going to shade um, another person on here? No, yeah. I would never do such a thing. There was somebody from another website who uh, asked a question about, like I, I forget what this specific thing was, but it was like, do you enjoy doing X? Or like, do you think, oh, it was about Joel Embiid. Mm-hmm. It was, and it was to Brett Brown. And they were like, does Joel Embiid make a difference defensively? And oh, Brett just, just kind of looked, and Brett was just kind of like, <laughs> "No, uh, I know who you're talking." He he just kind of he's a rookie reporter, and he said he just kind of fumbled the question, and he he was trying to make a a diff. Yeah, I understood what point he was trying to make there. He was trying to say like, "Do you kind of subconsciously feel di- like do opponents play yeah. differently when when Joel Embiid is on the floor?" Kind of, kind of. I guess you could make a parallel to like, do defenders just feel differently when like Ilsenio comes on? You know, yeah. they don't play any different, but they're like, oh, God, this guy's good. And I know I know he's here. So that, I think, was what he was trying to ask. But I'll tell you um, why I'm not concerned about the union. Well, one thing concerns me and one thing doesn't. I'm not concerned about the defense because they held the clean sheet against Seattle. Right. I mean, Seattle yeah. didn't really try to go for it. Uh, the Portland game like, OK, so we talked we talked in this podcast plenty of times about how important Montero and Bedoya are um, to sit in tight and do the 
dirty two-way work next to Madunian because Madunian has has the mobility of like Mick Jagger in transitional defense, you know. Um, so, I mean, the first goal, Montero gets dispossessed by Diego Chara, turns it over inside his own half of his field. It's a, the union have numbers back. It's a five V well, it's a four V five for the Timbers. And yet a uh, brilliant pass played actually a brilliant cross played over Jack Elliott's head. I thought Jack actually had a pretty good position on that. Um, and they scored the first goal. The second one, Bedoya has the mistake. He steps on the ball, loses his footing. And then the most, probably the most pathetic transitional defense I've ever seen a team play in my entire life. Madunian just lets his guy run right past him. Austin Trusty gets burned by um, Fernandez, I guess it was. Um, and Jack Elliott finds himself in a two-on-one. It was just like, Jesus. But th- those were mistakes that you haven't seen from Bedoya and Montero really this year. You know, So I'm not concerned about that be- that becoming a thing. You know, and the third goal, like we said, was just end of the game. Diego Valeri moment of brilliance that happens. You know, but I'm not. I'm not putting. I'm not banking on Montero and Bedoya committing ghastly turnovers twice in one game. You know what I mean? But it no. does show you. It does show you the importance, Russ, of like shit when those guys aren't on or when they're making mistakes. Like they, they struggle in transition. You know, they are not a good transitional defensive team because it just exposes Harris Madunian's weak point at, in, in that area of the field, which we which we really didn't didn't see um ever since like the first game of the year the first two games of the year when toronto when michael bradley kind of cooked him so i don't Can i don't, I I don't think that's why I'm, I'm not worried about the defense because of that you know I, it's it feels like the first time i've been able to say this and and not say it with tongue-in-cheek but like at some point when this squad gets fully healthy and we see their best 11 I feel like it's going to be a very exciting time for the union well you could right? have really like, really use marco fabian these last two games you know yep just imagine, like, I think Aronson's done a nice job this year, but just imagine replacing him with, with Marco and what that does for your team. Can I read a quote from you actually real quick about Brendan Aronson that sums up what I've been trying to say about him the last couple of weeks? This is from Jim Curtin in the story that Tannenwald did today. Actually, I want to read this quote, and then I want to let you comment on that quote, and then I want to take another quote out of here. Um, so I was saying kind of how Brendan Aronson seems like he, he he's like – Sometimes he looks like he's not ready for the ball or he can't get his hips turned or he can't get positioned like in tight spaces. Uh, so Jim Curtin said, if there's one thing I need him to work on and improve on and will continue to do it every day in training, it's that ability to arrange his feet quickly in the box and get his shot off. Uh, he's been in really dangerous situations, but the margins are very small. And I think what I'm seeing with Aronson is a little bit of what I saw with Il Senio in 2016-2017 where he makes these really good turns and cuts with the ball. First touch is excellent. And then it's usually on that second move or the second guy who gets him or pips him or he can't get his feet feet turned or he's he gets he can't shuffle properly. Um that's kind of what I'm seeing. You're very well researched, you're very very well informed. That's what I would say. Um <laughs> Thanks, to, to 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 that point <laughs> that you made though, um it's almost like Aronson and and like you mentioned, Ilsenio a couple of years ago. It's like their brains are working faster than their bodies can adapt. Mm, yes. Right? Like yeah. they it's it's almost like the same idea in football, right? When like a guy should make the catch, but he looks up because he's planning his next move ahead of time and is just kind of relying on that first move being there. He gets his head turned before the ball comes in because he's, he's yeah. thinking about running 30 yards down the field. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And and I think that's kind of what we're seeing here. And and again, like Aronson's not, not like Aronson's a young enough player where it's, you know, it's it's different to play at this level. And, you know, he's found success early on. So it's not like he's playing tentatively. And sometimes it's, you know, it's it's tough because as a young player, 
Sometimes you worry that you're going to be too tentative to overthink too many things and you start making stupid mistakes that you wouldn't otherwise make. Mm -hmm. There's also the inverse of that where you start to find success and and you start making plays that you necessarily shouldn't be trying to make. Mm. And I feel like that's kind of what we're seeing here. He's found enough success on the ball early in this season that, you know, he feels like he's able to make a couple of these moves, but maybe there are times where it's it's better to kind of pull it back and to let your brain and let your body kind of catch up together. It's almost like watching middle school soccer where people are like, where kids are kind of hitting those growth spurts and they haven't learned their body yet, you know, and and you're just, you're just not fully there. You know what you want to do, but your legs are just a little bit too long. And that's a tough feeling too. Yeah. Cause you get frustrated. You're like, God, I I have in my mind what I want to do, where I want to go, where I need to be. And he just can't, it's, it's not the first move or the first touch. That's that's the problem. It's always the second touch, you know, and that comes with time. I mean, Think about the most expensive players on the field and the most sought-after players and the hardest player for the union to find all these years. We did two years of this podcast where Dave and I just talked about trying to find a number 10. You know, who's going to replace yep. Barnetta? You know, who's going to replace Dojkal? <laughs> like, is Bedoya a 10? Is he'll see you at 10? That's all we ever fucking talk about. Now you have an 18-year-old in there. Um, it's the toughest position to play on the field and it's the hardest for us to produce here at home. But that, that kind of links into the second quote I wanted to share because this is all, that's one symptom of not being able to break down a defensive team, a bunkering team. Uh, they don't have a 10 who can unlock that. Not until hopefully tomorrow night, Wednesday night, Marco Fabian comes back and he can help do that. Uh, but the other thing is that they don't, one of the ways that you can, and I got a lot of questions about this, so I wanted to address it earlier, but people are saying, well, how do you break down a, a bunkering team? Another way to do that is to play wide and to get your fullbacks up there and kind of stretch stretch teams out horizontally, you know, and put some crosses into the box and get them get them turned get the get get defenders turned because center backs hate to turn and track backwards and face their own goal, you know, it's the most, it's the biggest pain in the ass ever. So you get Ray Gattis forward, you get Kai Wagner forward, right? Um, yep. So Jim Curtin said, "quote I just said to Kai and Ray, they're defenders first and foremost." Right, let me read that again. I just said to Kai and Ray, they're defenders first and foremost. Are there going to be certain moments when they can get forward and get those two to three crosses a half that we ask for? Yes. Certainly that's still going to be available, but if one's forward, the other has to stay. Keeping the clean sheet is most important. All right. So that doesn't like that doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise you, right? Because we know what kind of coach Jim Curtin is, and he wants his, his defenders to defend more than anything. Now, especially when you're playing – uh, formation like you're playing where you have a guy like Harris Madunian and we know that he can't do anything in transition. So how do you counter that? You, you keep your fullbacks back and you protect him. So I always talk about Keegan Rosenberry. Keegan Rosenberry can go forward. He can pass the ball. He can put across and he can help unlock that. But if they get, if he gets burned up there, he's not the same kind of defender, same kind of transitional defender that Ray is. Okay. Like this is not a secret. We know all this stuff, right? But it's interesting to me to hear, to hear Jim put that into uh, to, to, to quantify that, that they want two to three crosses a half from those guys, you know, and that's, that's one of the problems here. Cause they don't, Aronson is not able to unlock a defense right now and they're not getting any width, um, in fullback play. And that's why the two turnovers that they had on Saturday were in the middle of the field. Um, Montero's was in the middle of the field. Bedoya's was in the middle of the field. When you push your fullbacks up, if, if Ray Gaddis loses the ball when he's like all the way up in the final third, like, so what? Like they're not going to, most teams are not going to be able to counter off of that and go like 80 yards down the field. Right. Yeah. Uh, same with Wagner on the left side, you know, and as much as people rag Ray, I think we're giving Wagner a little bit too much credit. He's had some good games and some good performances, but I also feel like the standard, like the, 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 um, 
you know, the bar at left back was so low to begin with. I think just because somebody's actually, first of all, they're actually playing a left-footed guy over there who can actually cross a ball with his left foot. Like now we're saying he's the greatest left union left back of all time, you know? There are four reasons that people like Kai Wagner. One, he's left-footed. Two, he's exotic because he's German. Three, he's a good-looking young guy. And four, we had such low expectations because of where he was plucked from. Remember, like this, this was an Ernst yes, Stanner signing third, that third nobody that nobody lauded. It was like, oh great, here we go, like another another cheap union signing. He's outperformed, I think, what anybody would have expected. Right, so I think like right. those those four things kind of go into it. Well, really three, but like those are the things that kind of go into why people are so high on him. And by the way, like having a left footed left back that's better than Elsinio, like or not Elsinio than Fabinho, like. That's not a bad thing. No, you know? it's, it's just, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I remember the Bedoya quote from last year at the after the playoff loss where he's like, well, our right back is playing left back. Yep. <laughs> you know? So it's like, so those are the things. I think you can't, they, they have trouble for as much as Mont- Montero, you see him kind of get up in that uh, Montero and Medunian, and you see them get sort of just above the 18 there. They're hovering around like 25, 30 yards away, but they can't really go. They can only go side to side and unlock when Ilcino's there. You know, if, if you watch like them defend Ilcino, they often just sort of let Ray do whatever. <laughs> well, I think that's, that's you know? part of the... It's like basketball. It's, it's like basketball. It's like watching jo- It's like watching teams jo- d- double Joel Embiid and let Ben Simmons stand out there. If, if ben, Simmons, ben Simmons is Ray Gaddis in this instance where you know he's not going to shoot a three-pointer or cross a ball, and then why would you defend him, you know? Yeah. I mean, this kind of goes back to, to a couple things. One, Talon Energy Stadium's field is 120 yards by 75 yards. Mm-hmm. Okay. The Union typically play with a width of probably like 55 to 60 yards. And it needs to be better. It has to, you have to widen it out. Now, part of the, the issue with the 4-4-2 system that they like to play now is there's not that inherent width in the final third without having any kind of, like without having, without having any of... Yeah, without having wingers, like you've you've narrowed literally what you're doing. When I think back to like even the first game of the season, there were some moments where you started seeing like wide overlaps in that final third that that kind of give a, a defense a, a new look, and it's mm-hmm. something that you kind of have to you have to plan around. And it's not something that that the union have been doing lately. Now, when Elsino comes in, things change, right? Because mm-hmm. guys know how to play off of Elsino. That part of that is just because there's familiarity in in what he does and what he's been doing and because he's been so successful coming in as a late game sub, you know what to do. And you know that if you get free, and we talked about this the last time I was on, but like, you know that El Senior can find you. You know that he's probably the, has the best eye on the field, mm-hmm. right? And knowing that a guy's going to be able to find you in a tight window changes the way that you play. And so like, this comes back to like, it, it would be amazing if El Senior could be a 65 minute player. Or if Ilsenio could somehow have been the 90-minute Brazilian Ben Affleck player that we all hoped he would be. <laughs> but you take what you can get, and, and if it ends up being like he's a 20-25 minute player, and that's what busts the top off, great. But this again comes back to like why I think Fafo Pico is a nice guy. Yeah. I think he's a decent enough player. But to me, he's not a starting caliber MLS forward. And part of that is because like to me, he's a north-south guy. And there's not a, a toll. Uh, there's not a ton of nuance to what he does on the pitch. Like he yeah, he's got a yeah. he's got a given role, and this can't, even comes back to like when we talked about him versus David Akam. Like Akam had his issues. Sure, he had his his sports hernia issues last year. Sure, still tied for the leading th- goal scorer on the team. I th- I think you were getting a better skill set. Granted, at a, at a much higher rate. Yes. Um, out of Akam, beyond being like a north south guy, why do I think I, that's what Fafa is. Why do I feel we went from like six strikers to three well because well, we tr- well 
Akam was traded. Burke is, is you know, not here. Akam was traded. Burke failed a drug test. So then you, now you got, you know, they call or they promote Galena. Um, and you got Shib- Shibilko is getting in some good spots and he's <sighs> getting some... He's getting some looks. Um, I, I don't think he's the kind of guy who's going to like take a game over and like create something out of nothing, right? Pico, I think, is a winger. You know, he does, and he said as much, and he does a lot of good things, but he doesn't have a nose for goal necessarily. And Santos, I, I, he's just trying too hard right now. You know, I mean, you see, you see him like tr- trying so hard because he wants to score and like you know make this work when i saw him run back like 70 yards to try to win the ball <laughs> like, he fouled the dude i was like i was like come on man you can't do that but i appreciated the I fact him. that he wants it like he looks like he wants it so bad he tries a blue collar lunch pail oh paper bag kind of guy would be perfect for this podcast maybe you and him could just do a spanish oh, if only manny buddy. machado could have been like that kind of guy Bo. or a double herrera um, oh, but anyway, oh, not that I'm going to convict the guy because he's not yet been convicted. Soon. I hope that people understand the difference between being charged for something and being convicted of something. There's somebody uh, in a corner. There's like there's like five people in Philadelphia right now who feel like Adubel Herrera is being attacked like Kate Smith was. But we'll move on. Oh, yeah, we'll do that on another podcast for another time. But um, yeah, I, I still want to see Sergio Santos start. I, I don't. I just think he's pressing a little bit. You know, I, I saw yeah. he tried this back heel in traffic yesterday that if it would have come off, they would have had a clean shot. I saw him do this hard, hard shoulder turn into the channel um, when he was in there. I still think he's got probably the best nose for goal out of those three guys. And I still think yep. that like he's your $500,000 dude and I want to see him do well. But I think the combination of, so to wrap this conversation to a bow, I would say Marco Fabian helps you unlock defensive teams i think one of those strikers stepping up and just being able to create something and show a little bit helps and i think getting better fullback play out of ray gaddis or kai wagner i'm not going to let kai wagner off the off the hook either you know um i think those three things could probably help them uh, help them open it up you know yeah i think there's part, part of the reason santos is probably pressing is just because he knows or at least in that last game with uh, Portland, he knew he was going to have to come in as a sub. And, yeah. and the mentality of being a sub versus being able to find your footing, get used to the defenders, try to pick them apart. And again, it's his first year in the league. Well, when he started he, last week, too, against Seattle, and then he's on the bench against Portland. Yeah, yeah that's another thing. He, I know he's so that's, injured, that's, that's the off-the-field stuff. Like, that's that's a confidence yeah. uh, crusher, oh, yeah, 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 potentially. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, you know, when you're trying to get a, a, a real scouting report on a lot of these guys, especially in your first year in the league, you know, a lot of that is going to be a feeling out process for 35 minutes. If you don't get to start the game, you know, by the time you felt out who exactly you're lining up against and, and what might work against them, the final whistle's already blown. So I don't fault him for pressing. I just think that at some point, like, Jim's got to roll out. Mm-hmm. Like, at, at some point, you've got to roll out Santos and Chabelko and just let them go. By the way, I feel like at some point, we need to uh, we need to pick a player and give them almost like a special segment. Like I think Casper is worth it. Well, I should I just take Casper... the podcast on the road. I should just get a. I should just bring my laptop down to the. Now that the Sixers are done, there's no reason why I can't go down there on Wednesday and do some stuff with the dudes. You know. Um. What I'm thinking is maybe we should treat Casper Shabelko. We should go like Men in Blazers, <laughs> right? Can you can you do a Devo? Because I can do a good Raj. It's like oh Casper, Casper the friendly ghost. We hardly knew ye. <laughs> We'll make him sit behind us. We want him to be like Olivier Giroud, like the meaty French forehead. 
I think, anyway. um, yeah, you know, I think one of the reasons I'd got away from like the player, current player interviews was number one, because like Orlandini was already doing that. And so I didn't want to like step on his toes. Like that's him and Mike do that. And uh, now they do it for the team website too. Like Adam Kahn's doing it, but yeah, I wouldn't be opposed to having like current players on. I just like having the former players on too, because you can ask them some different stuff that you normally like you, that you wouldn't have been able to do when they were current players. Like I thought Morgan had some interesting things to say about, uh, about Ireland, about his experience in Ireland. You know, I had Sebastian on some other former guys, but yeah, I don't know. Um, we can do whatever with that. Um, okay. We got a lot of questions, so I want to get to that, but I just want to look over the upcoming schedule here. We're going to try to play this out. So, Home against Colorado. Colorado's actually won a couple in a row. What do you think happens with this one? I don't know. I don't know either. Uh, I think they win just because the law of averages says certainly Colorado can't lose or can't win three games in a row, correct? They could. On a Wednesday in Philly and Chester. The the midweek thing, I think, is is as much of a trap for the home team as it is the away team. Um, That's true. I, I don't. I, like a midweek fixture to me is is always a toss up. The one thing is, like if you're the union, I think like again, you came off of a off a statement win against Toronto with the two results that you did. You've got to go out and and of course they're, the crowd's not going to be that great, right? It's a Wednesday night game. Mm-hmm. They're going to probably play in front of six thousand people. I don't mean that as a jerk. I'm just saying like midweek fixtures just don't get good crowds. Yeah, yeah. They're going to play with a small crowd, um, and and they should win. Yeah, I think so too. Um, like and then ironically, you, you go, I think you go like, onto the road with some confidence. Yeah, there's less pressure on them. Spotlights maybe off a little bit. The crowd's a little smaller. Yeah, I think you can get three points and you, and you pick it back up and you go to 27. DC does DC play midweek? Let me see. A uh, little uh, they play yes, 5:29 against Chicago, home to Chicago. So Uni can reclaim first place. We'll see what happens. Chicago's seventh place right now. So then before the Gold Cup break, they go to at Minnesota, which is actually kind of tough. Minnesota's in playoff position right now. Um, and then Red Bull to close it out at home before the Gold Cup. So let, let's take uh, – this is actually a question I think we got, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask it to you right now. and we'll, we'll segue into questions with this. Colorado, Minnesota, New York, nine possible points leading up to the Gold Cup break i think the over under the listener gave us was 4.5 do you go over under 4.5 in the next three over so you say wins i think they get against... i think they get i think it gets seven and then they get seven they get you seven they beat nine. colorado where's the other win coming from i think they're gonna beat uh they're gonna beat red bull and they draw against minnesota they're gonna draw minnesota i'll say six i'll say they beat colorado i say they lose to minnesota i think they beat red bull I'll say six points. I can see it. Here's here's the thing, right? We always know that in the summer, as it starts to heat up, the unions start to heat up, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do. You manage really to go out. You manage to go out. I think it's going to be an ugly win. Like it might be a two-one yeah. win against. Oh yeah, uh, against Colorado. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if the Minnesota game is a bit of a of a drudge for like the first half, mm-hmm. and then I don't know, like a 65th minute goal by Minnesota. The union answer back like 10 minutes later. And then Elsino comes on and, and just plays futsal for a while and, and everybody loves it. But I think that Red Bulls game, I think like the Red Bull game is is a, a real big one, of course. Like it's it's your biggest rival in theory. Maybe not for them, but it is for mm-hmm. us. One sided rivalries are still rivalries. Mm-hmm. Um You're gonna you're gonna go out on a on a Saturday night, you're gonna have a great crowd at home, because you should be, if not in first place, you'll be in second place in the conference. Yeah. And you know that uh, and your fans know that you know you're about to hit this gold cup break 
So it's the last time they're going to have a chance to see you at home for, for quite some time. True. And then, by the way, the Union go on the road for three games. You won't see the Union at Talon Energy Stadium for nearly a month. They play that game on the 8th against the Red Bulls. Yeah. They don't come back home until July 6th against Orlando I know. That's also City. why we had like had to – we can't do the live podcast until the 20th because there's really just no other games. Yep. <laughs> so it's like, like – <laughs> I mean, that's your trade-off, right? And and that's why it's so important that you go out and you get as many points as you can yeah. because, you know, on the road at NYCFC, you've got a road game against New England. Oh, that should be a joke. Yeah. But then you, you, you have this essentially a home-and-home home with Orlando City after that. They played six road games, and they're 5-2-1-8. So they played eight. Really? It feels like they played more. So they're going to go does. into the break having played ten home games and seven road games. Did you see uh, the the news that uh, came out about Wagner, by the way? No, what was that? He was fined an undisclosed amount by MLS Discipline Committee for simulation embellishment against Portland. Yeah, which one was that? What sequence was that again? Uh, I'm looking to see the right video. now. They have the video. This will be great for the podcast. Mm. There's nothing quite like uh, explaining to people. Um, all right, let's see. It was in the 45th minute. Oh, I'm sitting through an ad. Oh, God. It's blasting in my ears. We'll get there. Um, good pod. You do here. Um, I talk about videos, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna break it down for the people here. So, forty fifth minute to set the uh, set the stage. Union down two nil, and uh, Wagner is uh, charging in on goal. He's just outside the eighteen. Oh yes. And uh, the nobody it was a twenty twenty one for uh, Portland came across him. It was a Chara, maybe it was a Deo and he came and, in uh, front of him, and like Wagner just kind of sold it before there was any contact made. I think almost sound like he said Zidane Chara. Zidane like, Chara. He's, uh, he's in the Stanley Fucking Cup finals because you know Boston Christ. needs another championship. But yeah, Wagner pulls up, slams on the brakes, and decides to uh, get shot in the back of the head. He had his own as a Pruder film being shot from the, the river end. You know, so. those can be like I think people know the rule. Like you can call a foul even if a guy doesn't get touched. But it's only in the case of like egregious things, like if a dude comes flying in with two feet up in the air and you jump out of the way, like just because he didn't hit you doesn't mean it's not a foul. You can award a a foul in that case, you know. Um, All right, let's get to questions. Questions I solicited, uh, if you would like to share a question, a comment, a concern, or an IPA opinion, um, because it's beer season. And uh, I went on uh, with Mike Gill's show, 97.3 ESPN, to clarify my IPA and my Manco and Manco comments. So I was getting a bunch of shit from <laughs> Slack chat, Crossing Broad Slack chat, where I was like, I don't like, like, you know, uh, what's his face from Barstool Portnoy? Dave Portnoy came down to the Jersey Shore and he did the the Manco and Manco pizza review. He called it Manco and Manco. Manco and Manco. And uh, he said Espanol. it was like okay or whatever. But I, I like said I'm not really like a boardwalk pizza dude. Like I don't want it like in the during the day if I'm like out on the beach and I'm like throwing a football around or I'm like reading a book or I have like suntan lotion on or I'm like sunbathing or some shit. I don't want to then go up to the boardwalk and eat like a hot slice of pizza. And like Kyle and Coggin and uh, Jeff, like weren't you on my side? Were you on my side of this argument? Or was it Craig? I think Craig was on my side. Um, Said, yes, why would you eat hot pizza like in the middle of the day when you're already sweating your ass off so like but other people thought that was like sacrilege like i'm i'll go to like manco and manco at like if i'm down at the boardwalk at like seven o'clock at night or something but i'm not like eating that for lunch on like a like a hot august day when it's like already 90 
bazillion degrees out. I didn't think that was that much of a take, but like all these people were giving me shit about it anyway. And saying like well, Manko an and Manko to is think so about this, great though. anyway. I don't know. Well, first of all, Manko Manko's fine. Wasn't there uh the owner's kind of a sleaze, right? Oh, he just got out of jail. So for tax evasion. And so then it comes down to this. And this is the thing that I don't think people And I'm old enough to remember, by the way, when it was called Manco or uh, Mac and Manco before it was bought out. And then your pizza came with a side of tax evasion. Here, I'm going to get a lot of people off your case. The Jersey Shore is not that nice. It's not that fun. And the people who only go there because they uh, they were raised to go there need to just calm down. Okay? Like, I, I, I guess I'm a snob. I know. I'm a snob. Like, when, when I was little, my mom would save up, and we would go down to, like, Mexico, or go to Punta Cana, because it was, like, a few hundred dollars a person to, like, go stay at an all-inclusive resort. And you know what, Kevin? Yeah. That four or five hundred dollars for that, like, five-day trip is way more worth it than getting together with a bunch of friends and renting a shore house. You know why? Yeah. One, you can actually see your feet when you walk into the ocean. Two, all your food and beverages are already prepared for you. And three, it's not freaking New Jersey. I'm done. But here's the thing. The people who got upset with you about the pizza need to, like, they need to take a second. You're saying that you don't want to have pizza on the boardwalk. Now, I, I'm guessing, I could be wrong, if you were offered the possibility of sitting inside of a restaurant, nicely air-conditioned, and offered pizza, yeah. Uh, yeah, you would yeah, eat that. I just don't want to eat pizza right near the beach. You know, because it's like, that's fair. it's, I don't know. I just don't like, like you're, like I said, you're not going to like you have people drink summer beers in the summer and they drink like winter beers in the winter. Like give me something that is seasonal, seasonally appropriate. Like I'll eat like a Wawa sandwich or something, or like make me like a smoothie or something, or I'll eat like a hippie granola bar or something. And here comes everybody. Oh, you're such a fish town hipster. But I'm not like trying to shove like hot pizza that just came out of the oven down my gullet like in the middle of a day in July. So sue me, you know. Which I think is totally you fair. Shooby, no. You shooby, you motherfuckers. Uh, shoobies. shoobies. No, I'll tell you this, dude. Hey, Ross, it's not. I don't. I don't disagree with you on the Jersey Shore thing in general, but like it's like it just that that's a product of just how provincial and how like parochial this city is. This region is like everybody who listens to this podcast either knows somebody who's been going to a specific shore point for like 40 years, or you yourself go to the same shore point for like 40 plus years. My wife, uh, her family has had this house in May's Landing for like 100 years. And we go down there all the time. I and mean, there's nothing wrong with it, but there's also like this side of it where like because you go down to Wildwood every weekend or you go down to Avalon every weekend or you go down to like um, Margate every weekend, like it, it doesn't... There are other places to go, you know, I mean, it's people think that these are like the greatest spots of all time because that's what they know and what they're comfortable with. And this is the same kind of mentality that we're trying to defeat when it comes to like sports in Philadelphia. It's just like four for four. It's, it's the same kind of like four for four mentality. Like the peop, the dude who's been going to Wildwood vacationing there for 35 years is the same guy who says, well, soccer, why the fuck do I care about soccer? You know, because I watch the Flyers and the Phillies and whatever, you know, so. It's just this mindset of trying new things and going different places and seeing different things, you know. So to before me, I get called a total snob, we did we did Dewey Beach in Dewey's Delaware. Fun. Dewey's cool many many yeah. times, and Dewey's yeah. fun. Dewey's fun, and I don't feel like there's a, there's a level of arrogance if you go to Dewey. 
It's just kind of like, oh, that's cute. No. That's like saying I'm. That's yeah. like saying, oh yeah, I'm. I'm taking the family to Knobles. Everybody loves Knobles. Yeah, Who doesn't love Knobles? Yeah. You don't have to pay the for the rides if you don't go yeah, on there's them. Nothing wrong. Good with food. Ricketts Glen. There's nothing wrong with with. Got the Alamo Hawk Mountain up in Schuylkill County. Um, oh, love love Hawk, Hawk Mountain. Mountain. I might take my daughter Hawk. up there. Hawk, Hawk Mountain. Hawk Mountain. That's the thing though. Like there are some places where you go, like, all right, that's cute. And right, like now, here's the nice thing. The Philadelphia Union, by virtue of being a first or second place team in the Eastern Conference, have gone from being like, why would you waste your time on soccer? To like, oh, that's kind of cute. Yeah, they're having a good season. That's very true. Yeah. You know, the Philadelphia Union are the dewy beach of Philadelphia sports. Yeah. And that's much better than you could have said a few months All right, ago. Let's get to your questions, comments, and concerns. Uh, Richard saw, Rich always asks like four questions here. So here's a problem. We're having a little bit of a problem here. I need to start going through the questions before the podcast and kind of paring them down, or at least like... Uh, not doubling over them here. I got to start doing some due diligence here, but uh, we're just going to try to run through them because we don't want to leave anybody out. We're a podcast for the people. And uh, as such, we like to try to answer all of them. So let me just kind of go through this here. Uh, Jim has two set pieces, far post Elliot, near post Bedoya, and two substitution moves, Ilsenio and Bedoya. Uh, can we finally say he's a tepid coach uh, and our success this year is only due to a deeper team? Um. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, those are the obvious moves. I, I don't like, like, what do you, what do you want him to do? Like they're playing a different formation. He's gone to some four, two, three, one at times. I don't, I don't think there's anybody that anybody's clamoring for right now that hasn't seen the field. Right. I, I don't, I'm not really sure what I think Jim is kind of doing the things that we expect. We were asking him to do over the years, show a little bit more flexibility. They're playing a different system. You know, he doesn't, he's, he's played a bunch of different guys so far. Right. Yeah, I, I don't think th- this comes back to I don't think Jim Curtin is necessarily a tactically adept coach. I think he's done a good job of implementing a new system. But in fairness, like teaching people to run a four four two, you can do that in middle school. You can do that in high school. Right. And like the thing that I've always been critical of this organization for even going like especially going back to when Ernie Stewart was here is the notion that like professional players can't learn to play a different mm-hmm. system. Right, like that's yeah, a joke. I didn't like that quote. If if your players have gotten to this level and they don't know how to run multiple formations, or like you couldn't uh, signal to your guys to to switch to a three five two for the last four minutes of a game, and that they don't know their responsibilities, like that's more of an indictment on like the front office for acquiring a bunch of morons. Um, uh, like, we have sort of a problem here. Like it, it, that's that to me is like an issue, right? And I I don't think that Jim is necessarily a guy who's gonna blow your doors off with tactics, but I don't know. Set pieces are what they are, you know. Like there are some coaches who go totally hands off, and they let their guys just dictate what they want. And then there are some that are are very scripted. Well, nothing drives and, me nothing drives me crazy too. Playing as a center back in Casa League for ten years or whatever, when you win a set piece. I get to come forward for like the first time ever. And then like, you don't even get the ball like in an area where I can get to it or (laughs) play like a short corner or some shit like that. They tried to lay the ball off to Montero. They ran a set piece routine against Seattle. I think twice where they tried to lay it off for Montero on the top of the box. It didn't come off, but I don't know. I'm all right with it. I, I don't, I don't think they're like necessarily those corners. I don't really call them plays. They just find Bedoya at the near post and, they have guys who can serve the ball in well enough to that they've got big near bodies. post corners are so frustrating. They're so frustrating. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, near post corners are fine if you're going to utilize that the near post guy on a on a quick run out for a short play, almost like a give and go, and then you pop it 
far post because the the defense kind of stretches well, right, out. Because otherwise you're just trying to corner. otherwise you're maybe just trying to flick on or you're trying to catch them at the near at the inside the near posts and usually the, usually yep. teams will have a guy on that post anyway. So, yep. um, all right. Um, Richard also says IPAs are good, but they don't need to be every beer on the menu. Yes, thank you. That's kind of sums up what I've been saying. It's like I, I, first of all, I don't like IPAs because like they're too hoppy. And the problem with that is like breweries come in and they just throw a bunch of fucking hops in the thing and they're like, oh, here's an IPA. You know, they're easier to make because you just like, if you don't get a batch right or something doesn't taste right, let's just throw more hops in it, you know, and we'll call it a beer. But like, I don't, I don't want to go to a brewery where there's like 12 beers on the menu or on the list and like 10 of them are an IPA. Like, what the fuck is the point? You know, why don't you just call yourself an IPA of craft IPA place, you know, it's like false advertising, isn't it? Like I went to hidden sands yesterday, finally got back to hidden sands and they got three IPA. They have 12 beers. They have three IPAs. They have like two sours, two porters. They have like a Kolsch. Um, they have a, like a strawberry wheat. They have this like blueberry kind of like spice thing. It's just a lot of variety. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's what I'm looking for in my beers. Um, what's the deal with Imbizo? I have no idea. Um, I don't. I don't understand why they said. Well, we are fine with the Keegan Rosenberry move. We also have Imbizo in there. You know, if you're and not going to play can't, him, he can't. He can't imbi sometime on. The well, the, part of the problem too is that I appreciate Ernst and his transparency, and I, like I love it that he talks about every single move they make. But then when you get too specific like that, sometimes quotes like that can come back to bite you in the ass because people like me will bring it up and say, "Well, you did mention Imbizo specifically when you talked about trading Rosenberry." So. Uh, when you put that out there, then it's going to come back and people are going to say, like, okay, well, what now? So, anyway, Wisecracks uh, says, in the spirit of Bill Buckner, what Philadelphia athlete would you feel bad about in regard to the way you treated them if they suddenly died tomorrow? That's a good Brian question. Carroll. Brian Carroll? You weren't a Brian a Carroll fan? Did you say Carroll. things about no. him? I might have. I don't feel bad about Mo do. I will take the uh, Moadu hatred to the grave. How about a flyer? I... Is there any f- your first year on the Flyers beat? Did you talk shit? Did you have a flyer whipping boy? Mm. Was it Coots? Did you talk shit about Coots? You know who? Well, there was a guy that I I didn't G. like as a player, but I I thought was a real stand-up guy in the locker room. That was Dale Weiss. Dale Weiss, yeah. I I I did a uh, I did a total one eighty mm-hmm. on him. Um, See, I don't Come think. Yeah, I, I would. I mean, obviously, like I've, I'm critical any... of Ray Gaddis, but I don't. I don't think like if if Ray Gaddis, God forbid, like if Ray Gaddis fell over dead tomorrow, like I feel like when I talk about him on here, like I do try to highlight his positives, right? Like I say, he's a good defender. I say he's been a great servant to the club. He plays left back. He plays right back. Like I try to balance it out, right? Like I don't yeah. maybe Rice and Bowley. Would I feel bad about him, Bowley? Um, no, you wouldn't. No, I guess not. I don't know. I think that's a good exercise to know. That's a good question to ask people if you think you haven't been fair as a writer or a reporter. Like, if you do feel bad about that, then you should probably try to say nicer things about people. Um, Are the union more likely to get A, a bargain right back, B, a bargain striker, C, a defensive midfielder, D, a star striker, or E, other in the transfer window? Well, I think what they're going to get is they're just going to try to, they're going to extend Montero's loan, and then they've been clearing up crap to sign him long term, you know? So let's take that out of the equation. Like, say Montero's not involved. Like, what, what do you what do you bring in? Do you bring in a striker or a fullback? I think you can make for the first time ever. You might be able to make the case for a fullback. Although you need a striker too, don't you? Like, I don't know. It feels like it was like you said earlier. It felt like we went from six strikers down to three. Yeah, probably still go to the striker. 
still still wish right like we've we've waited for how many years for there to be a legitimate designated player yeah right we've wanted a dp striker for well, so don't long we feel i'm just like wondering if they, i mean we, if they don't we exist feel like santos is kind of that guy like a is he a tan no. player well they see i think uh, i think santos is like a really solid number two striker I wonder yeah, how paid, much Shabelko's like, been gotta, like over. Got to understand that like they pay, that they like. Oh, this was huge because they, whenever people would come to me and say, "Well, the union and New York Red Bull both have the same salary or whatever," it's but it's not about salary. It's about transfer fees and spending money. It's like Atlanta paid more for Barco and a transfer fee than the union have like ever paid for anybody ever. So when when the people can't can't overlook how significant it was that they paid half a million dollars just to just for Santos's signature. Like you yeah. got to get him out there. Like you don't fuck around with that kind of money, you know, five hundred k. Yeah. All right. Anyway, Kevin says, um, I think people are going to overlook how good that Portland team is. Uh, it's not the end of the world, but it was sloppy nonetheless. A functioning VAR would be nice after the past two games, though. Uh, he says IPAs are good, but I think new breweries feel the need to make craft beer hop bombs. I agree with all that. Portland's a good team. They have more quality in that midfield. That's why they were able to counterattack better than Seattle was, you know. Uh, Dills yeah. says, better Philadelphia musicians, the Hooters, the Roots, or the Dead Milkmen? Mm. I'm a big fan of, uh, I'll go with the Roots. I'll say the Roots, too. The Hooters are all right. Um, I like, as far as Philly bands, I like Cinderella. Um, I also like uh, Hall and Oates. I think one of those dudes was from Pottstown, wasn't he? Not Pottsville. Not Pottsville, but Pottstown. Schuylkill County. Oh, I order about Schuylkill County. Uh, By the way, there was uh, fist-sized hail falling in uh, in Higgins today. Really? Per a uh, source in Schuylkill County, yes. Uh, Mike says Wednesday night is Delco night. Is Villanova a Delco school? Uh, Isn't, is it technically? I, I say it's a Philly know. school. It's a Philly school. I mean, they have championship banners hanging in the fucking Wells Fargo Center. So, yeah. Um, let me see here. Uh, there's a conversation going on right there. Uh, Mike, Mike Yaram says, uh, lager is greater than Pilsner is greater than IPA. I would have to agree with that. I would, I would definitely agree. With I that. agree. Uh, he says, is there mm-hmm. any chance Ali Bedoya takes over Ray's spot to get Marco, uh, Fabian and Brendan Aronson on the field at the same time? Ooh. And would that be an okay use for a player of his skills? I would I, see. I would say no because they only go to Bedoya at right back is kind of when they're when they have a ton of the possession they're pushing forward. Like I just don't want like Alejandro Bedoya one v one like in the flanks like defending, uh, you know, a, a good striker or a winger. You know? All right, let me pitch uh, this to you. The Union switch to a three five two. Yes. We get Jack Elliott. We get Austin Trusty. I guess we get McKenzie. McKenzie's not awful. We get three center backs on the field. Ali Bedoya plays your right wing mm-hmm. back. And then we just say, have fun. That, <sighs> my friend, that. There, I love there a 3-5-2 as much as, listen, man, I love a 3-5-2 as much as anybody. But I don't know if, like, at his age and, like, considering, like, the other personnel you have, like, asking Bedoya to play right wing back makes sense. Like, Keegan Rosenberry would have been a perfect right wing back. Who? Um, this guy who used to play for the Union, Keegan Rosenberg. Oh, they must have gotten a lot for him. He's a young player. He's dynamic. He yeah. can, you know, get up into the final uh, third. Jared. They must have gotten a lot of gam for him, right? Or Tam, Jared right? says, how can this team beat the bunker? Yeah, we talked about that, how to beat the bunker. Fullback play, uh, number 10, and one of these strikers kind of uh, stand, uh, taking a step forward. Um, trucks. Did you read this question here from uh, from Paul? 
from Paul Costa. Uh, I did not yet. He said, uh, and this is good for you, if Slayer covered Imagine Dragons as the encore for their final concert, would that mean the end times are imminent or already upon us? Can you imagine that? Like if uh, Slayer's touring comes to an end and the era of Imagine Dragons takes over? Be sad, man. Luckily, I got to see Slayer a bunch of times. I'll tell you a quick story. It's in West Virginia. It was 2003. I was a freshman, and uh, Slayer was playing um, at, in Pittsburgh, and the show got canceled for some reason, And but they moved it out to uh, to to the suburbs in Pittsburgh. It was in Belvernon, Pennsylvania, and it's where Mario Lemieux's ice hockey rink was, the ice garden in Belvernon. So we took the Greyhound bus up to Pittsburgh, but we didn't we, we couldn't find anybody to take us out to Belvernon because we were just going to walk to the venue originally. So we found somebody to give us a ride down to the ice garden and we saw slayer on the ice garden people started pulling up the carpet and we're like sliding around on the ice like mosh pit on ice it was crazy and um then we couldn't find a ride back so we walked two miles up the street and uh we we were like asking people at this little like gas station to hitchhike if they could give us a ride back to pittsburgh and, and nobody was going back to pittsburgh so literally the last person we asked there's this lady standing outside of the uh of the gas station she's crying she's like bawling her eyes out and uh i go up there i'm like excuse me uh ma'am would you happen to be going to uh to pittsburgh and she's like crying she's like yeah my boyfriend left me at the slayer concert my ex-boyfriend is coming to pick me up and we'll drop you off in pittsburgh <laughs> so we hitchhiked back with this this chick who was crying the whole time and uh I was like, like drunk as shit. I was in the backseat eating like donuts or something. And, uh, they dropped us off at Carnegie Mellon university where our one friend was, uh, was in school and we slept on the hardwood floor at Carnegie Mellon. And the lady was telling the story to her, her ex-boyfriend in the car. She's like, yeah, my boyfriend got in a fight with some guy like on the ice or whatever. So I'm back in Morgantown. I see a guy with a Slayer t-shirt on. I was like, oh, what's up, dude? Were you at the show like, a couple of weeks ago? He's like, yeah, but I got in a fight with somebody. And I was like, oh, was she, was he there with some chick who looked like this, had curly dark hair or whatever? And he goes, yeah, that was her. And I'm like, oh, well, you, you got in a fight with her boyfriend and she got really sad and upset. And then her ex-boyfriend let us hitchhike back to Pittsburgh. <laughs> so that's my Slayer. That's, that's my Slayer good. story. Yeah. That's pretty good. Well, the idea of like, of uh, crossovers that you wouldn't necessarily expect. I was at the Billy Joel concert on oh. Friday and, uh, and Jason John Bonham came out. And played uh, played some yeah, Zeppelin. Joke. He played played drums. Yeah, oh. it was. Uh, it was did nice. he do all the hits? Nice. Did he do Piano Man? He did. He did the uh, the Piano did Man. He do we didn't start the fire. Uh, he did. What are other Billy Joel songs? Those are the only two I know. He did. Um, he did the. Um, uh, I never know this. Excuse the name me. of the song. In the middle of the night, the river. The river. Uh, in uh, the middle of the night. Of the night. <gasps> truck stop says i just i just thought we can make that into a union song i have an idea for the sons no, of ben probably reject it and then you'll come back on what's the podcast the, uh, and complain about it what's the body of water right next to talent energy stadium the uh delaware river you can totally make a in the middle of the night truck stop says with the jack elliott extension do you think they eventually move him to the medunian and roll and make room for McKenzie, or is it more likely one or more of the three cor- uh, cornerbacks, uh, center backs gets dealt in the near future? Uh, no, I don't think they would sign Jack Elliott to an extension like under the premise that they would move him. I mean, he's been one of the best center backs in the league this year. Um, 
It's it's interesting though. I mean, I like his passing range. I just I don't know if that's he's playing really well back there. I think McKenzie would probably get sold before anything, you know. And it's like it's whatever with the injuries. I mean, you can't help it, but you know. Uh, playoff Pat says uh, question: What player in the starting eleven needs to be upgraded? Uh, his question is that it feels like a wait, or his comment is that it feels like a wasted opportunity with the last two crowds. Uh, and as far as IPAs, he says they're okay. I feel like most IPAs taste the same. I agree because mm. they all taste like hops. They taste like ass. They taste like asshole. Mm. Hoppy mm. asshole. Um, so, what wow. player in the starting Game experience tastes better? What player in the starting eleven needs to be upgraded? Fafa. You don't think Gaddis? I think it's. I. I think. If, no, I. Yeah, you could use more out of a. You could. You could use another striker, maybe more. It, like Ray. Ray yeah. is not. Like they're not losing games because of Ray Gaddis. You yeah. know. They're not getting dynamic play out of that spot, but they're also getting pretty reliable defensive play. And since Jim said that he wants defenders who mm-hmm. defend, Ray Gaddis is far from perfect, but I think you need you need somebody up top that can be reliable. And I wonder at at what point do we realize that Shabilko is probably, you know, playing above his weight. Yeah. Punching I mean, above he's his a, weight. He's a good player, man, but I don't like, again, I, I look at Shabilko a little bit how I look at CJ and I look at Corey Burke, right? I don't know, like, I don't think they're the type of dudes who are going to score you, like, 14 goals a year. You know, you don't need to, but wouldn't it be nice to have one of those guys for once? Big Mac okay. says, I love IPAs, but I completely respect the opinion of those who don't. I also oh. agree with you that most places have too many IPAs on the menu. Yeah, that's all we're asking for. We're not nobody's asking for anything crazy here, just a little variety in our life. He also says, Do you think the union have the finisher that the roster needs to be a really, really good team? I say no. What are the chances of the U going out and getting one uh, not high? Because listen, if they, like now they're painted themselves into a corner with the Montero thing, where if they got a jettison guys just to extend his loan and make his signing permanent, then that's they're not going to get another striker. Right, I mean, we don't feel like they're going to do both of those things. Or do, what yep. does it take like for it. Jay Sugarman to say, "Hey, look, we're still like we're actually pretty good now. I can justify spending more." Or the coaching staff can I go to him and say, "Like, hey, we're really good now. If you ever were going to spend more money, now's the time." I don't think it's that. I th- I really think that I think I said this before, but I think Sugarman at this point, like I think Ernst Tanner has more credibility in Sugarman's eyes than even Ernie Stewart did. Mm-hmm. Um. Because Ernst can now look and say, yeah. I was able to I was able to go and and pull a few guys that you've never heard of that can make solid contributions Correct. right away. I haven't wasted your money on big money guys that aren't playing. And oh, mm-hmm. by the way, the team's been in first or second after historically being a trash team. He has more of a case. Yeah, he has more season. of a case to present, doesn't he? He he does. And you also, once again, the union missed their window of being the only good or competitive team in in the summer in the city mm-hmm. of Philadelphia. But when you're riding the kind of wave of, of enthusiasm that has surrounded the Phillies, um, even up to this point, you want to make sure that you're staying relevant with, uh, with fans. And going out and making a, a big splashy signing could certainly help, especially you know when you're coming back or you're getting ready to go into the Gold Cup window and coming back out of it. You need to make sure that you're kind of, you know, putting your mark back on the mm-hmm. city because there's going to be that those two, what two weeks of uh, of Gold Cup. 
Matt Thornton, uh, a mediocre bad guy who came up with the name for this podcast, he says, I'll make it a general beer question for you. If you had to drink two beers and two beers only for the rest of your life, which would they be? For me, it's uh, Yard's Love Stout on Nitro and Magic Hat number nine. You would drink Yingling since you're a skook. A dirty I would. Skink. I don't like Magic Hat. I, I don't know why, but Magic Hat to me, I feel like, is one of the most overrated beers. You mean number nine specifically? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, number nine. It's just like there, there are two two beers that that people seem to love unanimously that I I can't get behind. There's number nine, and there's Victory Summer Love. I I've never understood the fascination with it. Would I drink it if somebody bought mm. it for me? Yes, that actually happened at the Billy yeah, Joel yeah. concert. Somebody bought me a summer love, and like, sure, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll consume it. But I'm not gonna be happy. It's a tough about question it. for me because I don't like buy like cases of stuff. I I come back with like a variety, you know, because that's you know we visit a lot of breweries and it's kind of what we what my wife and I do. We like just trying a bunch of stuff. But there's like three beers that I'm drinking right now. There's like two that I'm drinking right now. The one that I really two that I really really like from Hidden Sands um, are the Sandy Blue. It's like a blueberry Kolsch. Um, so they add blueberries into the the colish, but they also there's like a some kind of spice in it that makes it taste really good. It's not really wind. It's like could be wintry or summery. It's very interesting, and they make a really really yeah. good uh, strawberry wheat, which you can just crush in the summer. It's like totally crushable. And I don't want to hear any shit from anybody about like fruit beers. I don't want anybody to come in here and say like, well, Kincaid talks all this shit about IPAs, but he drinks like fruity girly beers. Because it's not like because you got to understand like at West Virginia or anybody here who went to like a party school. Like um, Westchester, Penn State, wherever the hell you know, like it, we, you, we we all drank shit beer, like you know, like n- none of us were drinking like Lion's, Lion's Head. Head, like none of us were drinking Keystone uh, Light, Milwaukee's Best, like none of us uh, were drinking great beer in college. Beast, Beast Ice. So I'm I'm like over that shit, you know, like I don't I don't need that shit in my life anymore. Like I just want to taste stuff with flavor. I will sit there and drink like five Rattlers in a row, even if they're two point five percent alcohol, and they taste like grapefruit because I just want to try different stuff and I want to taste flavor. <laughs> You know, I'm not yeah, interested. I don't need to sit there and drink like ro- like five Rolling Rocks to prove how much of like a, a traditional like alpha douche I am. You know, um, kick your feet up, have a Sierra Nevada. Ultra Victory base. is making a new. I think it's new this summer. They're making like a version of uh, of the Golden Monkey where it's actually like a mango wheat or something like that. I had a couple of those last week. We were pretty good. And I like um, the beer actually that got me into craft beer was uh, Breckenridge. They make this uh, vanilla porter. Which is really, really good. I like Free Will, too. I like a lot of the stuff that Free Will makes. A lot of their heavy, like, winter stuff. Um, like COB they make up there. They're up in Percocy, where uh, Branson lives up there. Shout out, Kyle. Um, all right, what, what else have we got here? We're going on an hour. Um, Max says, is it crazy to think that an upgrade over Gaddis would help the team more than an upgrade up top? I wish we'd get to see more of Mbizo. Well, that's a good point because I mean, like, what what do you? Yeah, I mean, do you really need to go upgrade right back if you have Mbizo waiting there? Like, why aren't we seeing him? Um, James says, when are we going to get a better right back? Tuka Rask is good. Says West Coast or New England IPA? I say neither. I say they both taste like cardboard asshole uh, blended with mank and macko, manco and macko and mac. What did I just say? Um, three games before the break. Blah 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 blah. blah, blah, blah. Okay, I will end on this one. Should Ernst? This is from Brisket Bear. Should Ernst pursue Aaron Johansson as a possible midseason addition? He was just released by Bremen. 
If Aaron Johansson didn't have any kind of ties to U.S. soccer, no one would know who he is and no one would give a damn that he was just released. That's how I feel. All right. Well, on that note, this is episode... Hang on. I'm actually going to like look it up here because I'm sick of like saying this shit and not knowing what it is. This is episode number 80. Uh, it's the Always Soccer in Philadelphia program. Uh, Rush wow. Joy, who always brings good talk, good commentary, and great ratings when he does the show. Uh, Russ, do you have anything you'd like to plug before we sign off here? Uh, the only thing I would say, Kevin, as uh, as usual, is if you're listening to uh, this podcast, which you are, and you are interested in the other shows on the Crossing Road Podcast Network, everything is now available on Spotify. Beautiful. It's, uh, it's always Soccer in Philadelphia live podcast July 20th at the Larimer Beer Company. Slide into my direct messages or just respond to both of us on Twitter or whatever and just say, like, tell us what you think. 5 to 6, 4.30 to 5.30. Like, ideas, thoughts, questions, comments, concerns, whatever, and uh, we'll flesh it out. But we're not going to do anything super fancy. We just want to do a good podcast uh, live and in the flesh. It's always Soccer in Philadelphia.